Father, uh, we do look forward to uh, what you're going to teach us tonight, God. And, and Lord, as we get into your word, God, minister to our hearts. Lord, just as you're going to challenge us in, in this section about how powerful your word is and, and Lord, are being born again and in growing us and keeping us, Lord, we thank you that we have the freedom to gather together and we can open, we can have Bibles on our laps, we can, uh, you know, have, have them on our devices if we want, Lord, and we can read freely and we can gather freely. And Lord, I do pray that as we look at this as Peter is warning those who are alive that he's writing to about what they're about to face, I, I pray once again it would just embolden us Lord in the things that come our way there may be personal trials that come our way and we got to know that Lord you are there with us it might be uh, something just coming out of the out of the blue towards us and we didn't expect it we we look Lord for you to do that work in our lives and God we do thank you so much and as we as we get ready to close here we do want to lift up Arlen and and uh, Lord heal his body Thank you, God, that uh, you're keeping him safe from things like COVID and other things that are going on in that hospital. Continue to heal him, work in him, bless the family, and Lord, just heal their hearts and their minds. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we get into this, I want to remind us that Peter's writing to some people who are facing persecution. And again, it's not just a time where they're gonna have a hard time and have some hardship. These guys are facing being dipped in tar and lit on fire. They're facing being sewn in animal skins and thrown into lions. So listen, they're facing the real deal. And I want us to pay attention to what Peter does and how he guides them. And listen, I, th I think if we're all really honest, our culture influences us. And we kind of get in a mindset of, you know, well, that can't happen to me, or they have no right to do that to me, or et cetera, et cetera. And I want us to pay attention. Peter doesn't call them into a revolution so much. Well, we might say an external revolution. He calls them into an internal revolution. And he's not, listen, he doesn't call for an overthrow of the government. He calls for them to draw closer to Jesus and I think we should, listen, we should pay attention to what he says to them in case things radically change in our world. So as he begins here, listen again, he's explained salvation and what that is and how that works. And then he gets into this thing. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying. You need to prepare for something and you need to get ready. I think we all know if you get good at anything, you gotta work at it, right? You gotta, you gotta put energy into it, you gotta put time into it, whether we're talking about athletics, whether we're talking about musicians, whether we're talking about a work that you do, a career you're involved in, you gotta prepare and you gotta focus. Well, you know what? This thing we call Christianity, this journey we're on, you gotta do the same thing. Hey, if you want it to be effective and powerful in your life, then you gotta do something. Now, Peter's main point here in this first verse is about hope. We have this hope. And so how do I, listen, how do I develop that in my life? And once again, biblical hope's not I hope I get something. 
biblical vote, biblical vote, or hope is this is what my future is, this is what I'm putting in, in my hope in is my future and my future with Jesus. So how do, I, how do I strengthen that? How do I get involved? Well, he gives us two things. The first thing he says is to gird up your mind in the new King James and King James says gird up. Other translations might say prepare and which is a little bit more modern vernacular. The, the gird up, a lot of us don't get, but you know, it's a good, it's a good picture because in that generation, men wore robes and, and whatnot, and when they got ready to battle, you don't want to fight with this big robe hanging down and do stuff, so they would pull it up and they would tuck it in their belt and they'd get all, 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 all ready so that they could do combat and be free to move. We might today say, roll up your sleeves, right? Roll up your sleeves and get ready would be kind of the same thing. So here's what he's saying. We gotta do something with our mind. Gird your mind, get ready. We gotta be people who, hey, we're gonna be focused on Jesus and on the hope that we have and not let these other things distract us from the journey that we're on. So listen, gird up, get ready, get your mind prepared, focus on that. And then he also says, listen, not only do we gird up our minds, he says, also that we need to be sober. Now, I don't think he's just talking about abstaining from, you know, becoming intoxicated with whether it might be, a, you know, a drug or alcohol, any mind-altering substance. I'm not so sure that's what he's talking about, although that would be entailed in this. But I think he's talking about we need to be people who are sober-minded. We're serious about what's going on. In other words, here's what Peter's saying. You guys are gonna face some persecution. And there's some things that are gonna come into your life that you can't even imagine. And again, I've described some of them. Oh, by the way, I'm not sure they knew all those things were coming, right? We know they're coming because we're looking at the history of it. But listen, it's going to come their way. And so here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, you need to get ready for this. You have no idea what's about to come and what's about to happen. And sometimes I think as Christians we get, you know, especially here in America, you know, in the 21st century, we get a little bit relaxed and life is good and that's good. Things are going well and maybe we have things coming our way, but no, no intense persecution and we get a little bit lazy. Hey, gird up your mind, be sober because you need to know something and Peter's going to explain this. As believers, you're an alien here. You don't belong. And we need to understand that. We need to be people who were more heavenly minded, I think, than we, than we are, a lot of us right now. And I know some people say, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I don't buy into that. I think if you're truly heavenly minded, you will be earthly good because God will be working in you. So listen, he says, do that. And he says, listen, you do that so that you can, the rest of the verse, so that you can rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus is coming back? Ah, hallelujah, huh? Be nice if he chose right now. I'm not sinning right now, so I'm really glad if he comes right now. Right now, right now. I might be sinning in about five minutes, but I'm not sinning right now. But listen, he's coming back. Are you daily preparing yourself for that 
hope? Is that something that you're focused on and fixed on and, under, and, and having that life that your life is guided by heavenly principles rather than worldly principles? So he says, listen, man, he says, and rest. I like the idea. You can rest, but also notice that he says, and rest your hope fully upon the grace. Do you know this thing called Christianity begins with grace? Yeah, most of us got that, right? Do you know you go through life, the present time, with grace? And you know when he comes, it's gonna be grace. You kind of get an idea where I'm going. It's grace from beginning to end, and in the future, it's all about grace. It's not, listen, you're not gonna get to heaven and tell God what a wonderful person you are. You're gonna get to heaven and tell God what a wonderful God he is and how great he is. So, so he says, man, listen, this grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, now he's gonna push us, so he's kinda, we're focused there, right? Now we're thinking about this whole idea that Jesus is coming back in a journey, and Paul's going, okay, or Paul, Peter. He's saying, get your mind that way, get focused that way, and then, listen, as he talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 14, as obedient children. I wanna just stop there for a minute. Isn't it a good thing to be an obedient child of God? Here's what I know from my vast experience of growing up. When I was obedient in my home, things were pretty good. When I was disobedient, not so much. We were talking, we were talking this morning uh, with Pastor Jack, and, and it's kind of funny, we were talking about you know, different things that happen to different people, and, you know, Pastor Jack and I were sharing, well, you know, like my dad wasn't into timeouts. No, he didn't know what that was. My dad was into the belt, right? And, and here's what I know, when I was being obedient, I didn't care if he took his belt off or not. It didn't bother me. If I was disobedient and I heard that, ay, ay, ay. So listen, we, we kind of get that physically, and, and, and here's what he's saying, though. Let's be obedient children to God the Father. Because here's what I know, when I'm obedient to God, not because I'm afraid what he's gonna do to me, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but when I'm obedient to God, life gets good. Life gets healthy and positive and starts going in a, in a good direction even when I'm facing difficult and hard things, even when I feel like I'm being mistreated. Life is still better when I'm obedient. So first of all, you know, he says, listen, Jesus is coming back. He's going to come. And he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but, he who, but as he who called you uh, is holy, you also be holy in your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Oh, as obedient children. And then he kind of lets us know what that looks like. First of all, the obedient child is someone that you're not gonna be part of this world. You're not gonna allow the influence of this world to change you and mold you and make you who you are. Kind of sounds a little bit like Romans, doesn't it? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And, and here he's kind of 
you know, Peter's kind of saying the same thing. Listen, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts as, you, as in your ignorance. When you did things before you're born again, you sinned, why? Because it was a natural thing to do, because you were a sinner. And that's what you did. He says, but don't do that anymore. Why is it sometimes as Christians, we want to be more like the world than we want to be like Jesus? It's that old man in us, right? And that fight and that battle we have. And we need to understand, listen, that's a reality, a part of life. And he says, don't be conformed to that. You know, it's interesting, in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote kind of the same thing. This is, a lot of us use this about marriage, which is true. But he says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers in, in, in chapter six of 2 Corinthians. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what do fellowship and light have, or what, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Listen, it's the same thing. Why do we want to join with those kind of things and get involved in those kind of things? Here's what Peter's saying. You wanna be somebody who you're victorious in and focusing on the hope that you have that Jesus Christ is coming back, then you gotta get rid of some of this stuff and you gotta push it out of the way. Oh, he says later on, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And once again, let me read what Peter says here. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts, as in your ignorance. That's talking about chapter 6 in, in, in 2 Corinthians. But as he who called you is holy, also be holy in your conduct. I think, listen, I think in the church today, we've lost this whole yearning for holiness. We might talk about it. And we might kind of look at it and, you know, a lot of us go, well, I don't want to be self-righteous. He's not talking about self-righteous. That's not holiness. He's talking about genuine holiness. Setting our mind on things above. Focusing on Jesus. Focusing on pleasing Jesus. Making our lives count here now because he's left us here for what we're gonna see later. He's saying, man, just start doing that. Start being people who you're focusing on holiness. And, and he says, listen, you need to know something. The one who called you, hence we have the phone behind us, right? The one who called you is holy, so shouldn't you be holy? You know, I think, I think Peter has in his mind the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. When God called them out of Egypt, Remember, they were a ragtag bunch of slaves, man. They were people that, they, they weren't even really a people, but God made them a people. And he brought them out, and then he began to lead them in the wilderness and, and begin to show them and demonstrate to them some holiness. Not that they perfected that, obviously, but I think he has that in his mind, and we're gonna talk about that more. But listen, I think Peter's got that whole idea in his mind, and then he even quotes something out of Leviticus, maybe Deuteronomy. It's funny how everybody wants to argue in verse 16, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God mentioned that to the children of Israel several different times, and it was in several different places with their walk in the wilderness with him. And I'm not sure that's important for us to try and figure out, but what is important is we need to be holy, why? Because God's holy. 
And we take his name as Christians, right? You know what Christian starts with? Christ, right? We're part of him. And he says, listen, man, start doing that. And when you do that, here's what I found. The closer I get to God, the easier it is to walk through difficult things and trials. And even when, listen, even when some of the trials I feel like I'm being unjustly approached or accused, it's easier to walk through them when I'm walking in holiness because I don't let it affect me. When I'm walking in the flesh, oh, I can get really mad really quick, and I can blow it. So do you hear what Peter's saying, man? He's calling us into that whole idea of, hey, we have this great hope. We can be people who really can be holy. Why? Because God's holy, and God called us. Do you think his calling you was a mistake? Do you think he called the wrong number when he got you? No, he called us on purpose. We're part of his family. We're part of who he is. He has a plan for us. And his heart is for us to be like him. So listen, Peter lays that out and then he goes, listen in verse 17, and if you call on the Father, so once again, it's interesting, the Father called you, now you're calling him, right? And, and I, I love that idea. He says, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves as, or I'm sorry, conduct yourselves throughout the time you stay here in fear. Now, do you again get the idea? Listen, as I read this, here's what I get the idea. I think Peter thinks this whole life here is kind of a temporary thing. Did you pick up on that? Listen, When you stay here, it's like, this isn't home. Where's home? Heaven, in his presence. So so he starts out here, listen, we are a people, he says, and listen, if you call on the Father, and that's not like you're not going to, right? He's approaching us, hey, you guys, you're gonna call on God the Father. You're gonna call on him. And he says, listen, you need to understand something. God is fair, just, perfect, holy, etc. We can go on and on and on. And he's somebody, he's, hey, he's gonna judge with our, without partiality. I think most of us know, if you're here on a Thursday night, you're usually somebody who, you come to church quite often. I think most of us know there's this thing called the judgment seat of Christ that we're all gonna face. It's not for our salvation. It's for what we've done with what he's given us and how we've handled that and how we've worked with that. And listen, we're gonna face him. And you can read about that in 2 Corinthians. I'm not gonna tell you where, so read the whole book of 2 Corinthians for homework. But listen, we're, we're in that thing and he says, but God doesn't, listen, God doesn't play favorites. I don't know, maybe you grew up in a home where there was favorites. I, I grew up in a pretty impartial, I don't think my parents played favorites too much. Of course, my brother got more breaks than I did. (laughs) Of course. But listen, and here's what he's saying. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't have those that he likes more than others. And so he says, but this one you call on, again, he describes him as that, but then he says, listen, you need to conduct yourselves throughout your time or throughout the time you stay here in fear. What does he mean by fear? Not fear and trembling like, oh man, God's got a big stick. I I don't 
I just really get disturbed when people act like God is not on our side. If he sent his son to die for us, don't you think he's kind of on our side? If he went to that degree to redeem us, don't you think so? He's not talking about a fear like, ha! He's talking about a respect. Because I think sometimes, listen, I think the flip side of that is sometimes people get a little too casual with God. He is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. And he is God Almighty. So listen, we need to have that that genuine respect as we look at him. And we should have the idea that I want to please him. I want to please him, why? Because he's God, that's why. And because he redeemed me. So he says, listen, through our stay here, throughout our stay here in fear, and then he says, knowing, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition by tradition from your father. So, so now he begins to explain salvation again. I love the idea. When Peter talks to people, he like goes down a road and then he always comes back to how great our salvation is and how wonderful our salvation is. And he says, listen, we need to walk with God and we need to understand when we're with him and calling on him. We need to understand our salvation. And, and I love this. Listen, he says, this one you call on, knowing that you were redeemed, not with gold or silver it's kind of funny Peter's acting like well anybody can use gold or silver that's not what you were redeemed with that stuff perishes you weren't you weren't redeemed with that and then listen as he's thinking about that as he begins to do that because he's going to talk about what we were redeemed with in a moment but as he's thinking about that here's here's the whole thing he thinks man listen you were redeemed what were you redeemed from and oh I don't know, maybe some of us have a hard time thinking about redeemed. Like, you know, what does that really mean? It means you were purchased out of something. You use something to pay for something else, not necessarily, not necessarily currency. I grew up in the era when I was a kid, remember green stamps or go bond stamps? Some people are nodding their heads. If you're too young, Google it. And you would go to the store. I remember going to the store, man, you had to get your stamps, right? You had to get your books, you had to get your stamps. And at home, mom used the young people, stick your tongue out, lick these. And then they stuck them in the book, right? Some of your moms used sponges. My mom used our tongues. But listen, and you would get the books, and then you could take those books in. And what, what did you do with those books? You redeemed them for, you know, sometimes you got a TV if you had enough of them. I think, I think it took a, like a truckload. But listen, and God redeemed us. He purchased us. He bought us. Why? Because he loves us. And he did not use gold bond stamps or green stamps. So listen, he says you were redeemed. You weren't redeemed with things like gold or silver. But you know what? You were redeemed from a corrupted life. We need to hold that in our hearts. I think it's important to understand you were brought out of something. And the way, the way he explained it, he says, listen, man. He says, you were redeemed from your aimless conduct 
that you received from uh, the tradition or that you received by tradition from your fathers. You went this way. Sin is passed down from each generation. And it's not passed down necessarily, you know, genetically or environment or all the things that, you know, the, the, the psychologists say. It's passed down because of the sin nature. And we have this sin nature. And before Jesus, our lives were aimless. We were going nowhere. And we received that from our fathers. And he says, listen, you were purchased out of that. And here's my question. Then why do we get drawn back into that? Why do we kind of go, oh, man, and we start going, and, and, and here's what we do. Like, this is the old life, and we go, okay, I'm going to get this close. I put my toe over there. Oh, and I'm back. It's going to get you. That's what you were redeemed from. What do you want to have anything to do with that? And I love the idea. He says, listen, man, you received it by tradition from your father's but you were, listen, you were redeemed out of that, not with gold or silver, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. I, I, listen, I love the idea, the precious blood of Christ, not just the blood, the precious blood. And you need to know something. He's not talking about just that red stuff that goes through his veins. He's talking about the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sin. Again, some want to worship the blood. It's not the actual blood. It's what that represents. The life is in the blood, meaning Jesus gave his life for us. So listen, man, you were bought not with gold or silver that, that, uh, that is perishable, that gets corrupted, but with the precious blood of Christ, verse 19, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh, you get the idea? He's like back in Exodus. He's singing about the he's thinking about the Passover. He's singing about that first time when God brought them out and you and I are are bought with so so much more precious blood. And we need to understand that. And listen, we're getting ready in a few months to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know, there's no resurrection without the cross. Hmm. And the cross, the cross. That's where he paid for our sin. Look at, look, at what, look at what Peter says. He says, he, in verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Do you know that God had a plan before he ever created? He had a plan, and I believe this with all my heart. I think he had a plan for me. I think he thought, I'm going to save that dude. He doesn't know it. I'm going to get him. And some of us have a testimony where we wrestle with God for a while, and he's like coming after us. And, and you know, I know in, in my, my own testimony, like I was a poser for a while, and that's who Peter's picking on here, posers. Don't be a poser. I was a poser for a while, and then I remember my last conversation with God before I got saved. It's kind of funny. I didn't know I was having a conversation with God, but I was having a conversation with God. And I'm working on my potter's wheel, and I'm making pots, and I'm telling God what a great person I am. Like, I really don't need you in my life. I really don't need you to interfere with my life. I don't like what you're doing in my wife. I don't like how you're disrupting things, and you're kind of messing things up. Just leave us alone. 
Praise God he didn't do that. Right? And he goes, listen, Peter's trying to get us to understand God had a plan. Jesus wasn't plan B or plan C. He was foreordained or foreknown. You know, it's interesting. People get uptight about the whole idea that God knows everything and the foreknowledge of God. And then they try and explain the foreknowledge of God is just that, you know, I, I say it this way, that he has a better seat in a parade. You know, like people say, if you're at street level at a parade, you just see the floats go by. But if you're up in a blimp, you see the beginning and the end. And they go, that's God's foreknowledge. No, God's foreknowledge is so much greater than that. Well, of course he sees the beginning from the end because he knows everything. But he also, listen, he has a plan. Do you believe that the only reason that he used the blood of Jesus Christ is because he looked in the future and saw that they were gonna crucify him. And he goes, oh, you know what? I'll use that to redeem mankind. Or do you believe God had a plan from the very beginning of creation that he would send his son to die for our sin? That's what's spoken of here. So don't, like, don't minimize foreknowledge and call it something else. This word foreordained here is the same word foreknowledge that's used about him foreknowing us before we were saved earlier in chapter one. It's the same word. So listen, here's what he's saying. It's no, God had a plan. He had a plan from the very beginning and this plan included Jesus and the blood of Jesus and he says he did it before the foundation of the world but he was manifest in these last times for us. I'm changing a little bit, right? Verse 21, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Oh, we came full circle all the way back to that hope, didn't we? And Jesus came, listen, Jesus came, died for our sins. It was God's plan that through the blood of Jesus that we could believe in God, this God who raised Jesus from the dead, so that, listen, so that, and gave him glory so that our faith and hope are in God. They can be sure. We have an anchor. Doesn't, doesn't Hebrews say that's the anchor for our soul is this hope that we have? Now, as he thinks about that, Peter goes a little bit further, and now Peter's gonna talk about the word. Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Oh, there that is again. He brought that up in, earlier in this chapter. The truth, what's the truth? The truth is the word of God. The truth is not some subjective thing that keeps changing and moving and dodging and you can be whatever you want it to be. He's talking about the truth in the word of God. Earlier before service when we were in the back room we were talking about, we're talking about how some things, you know, people wanna manipulate facts to make them say what we want them to say. Peter's talking about truth and truth does not move, it doesn't budge. I know that's a hard concept for this time and in the world that we live in. Everybody wants truth to be a little bit like a little fluid and move it over here and move it over there. But Peter's saying, listen, you and I, he says, I love this idea. He says, we purified our souls in obeying the truth. Do you know your soul is purified? And you know how good it feels when you're being obedient? And you know how funky it feels when you're not, right? Ugh. I don't like that. 
So he says, listen, man, he says, you're obeying. He says, he says, you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. All through this study in Peter, so far, all through it, the three studies, and the studies we're doing in John, have you noticed how the Word and the Spirit are together to work in us, to change us? You see, you can't just have the word and not the spirit, and you can't just have the spirit and not the word. In other words, you can't just have truth and no spirit, and you can't have just the spirit and no truth. And he says, listen, man, your souls are purified in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Really? Didn't we just spend a whole weekend looking at that? At least I spent the whole weekend. You know, probably only spent one service, but I spent the whole weekend. Some of us need it more than others, if you know what I mean. I think that's why God called me here to pastor this church. He goes, you don't just need this once. You need it three times. So all weekend, we're looking at loving the brethren, right? And now, listen, now on Thursday, what does Peter bring up? Oh, your souls are purified, and it's shown by the love that you have for one another. Oh, man, does that hurt a little bit if you're not loving one another? Like if you're being a turkey? <laughs> and he says, man, listen, you're purified by this love. You know, I'm, I'm looking at this, and here's what I'm seeing. We're supposed to be changing, and we're supposed to be growing, and we're supposed to be involved in, in this life, and our life shouldn't be the same today as it was last month or last year we should be moving and changing. And we should be buying into this holiness thing and allowing God to work in us. It's his spirit and his truth that work in us. I read earlier this week about, hey, a garden isn't a garden just when it's absent of weeds. A garden's a garden when Things are growing in it, and flowers are growing in it, and vegetables and fruit are growing in it, right? That's what makes a garden, not just the absence of weeds. And some of us, we think we just get rid of the weeds and we're okay. No, we're supposed to be growing. You getting my point? And that's what he's telling us here. You need to be moving and growing in. Oh, you have that love for each other, and I love this. You're loving one another fervently with a pure heart. You might underline the word fervently. You might even get a tattoo, and says you're going to love brothers fervently, right? You're going to do that. And then he says, having, so listen, having been born again. Oh, there's that whole thing. You see, here's what Peter's saying. If you're truly born again, there's going to be some fruit in your life, not just the absence of things. There's going to be fruit, right? You're born again. You're going to be loving others fervently. And he says, listen, you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. So, this is the second time, and actually it's the third time, he's brought up things that are corruptible or corrosive versus things that are not. He's bringing up temporal versus eternal. And we're born, listen, when we're born again, the seed that God plants in us isn't some corruptible seed that's gonna decay and, and fall away. It's the seed that grows and takes us into eternity. It's the Holy Spirit coming in us and growing and changing us. And Peter goes on and he says, listen, man, he says, 
you're born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Oh. God's word's forever. Do you ever think back, I, I think back of when I was in school and how much things have changed since I was in school, what they're teaching. Like we were one direction, now it's a different direction. Textbooks change, everything changed. But I don't know this from experience, but the Bible hasn't changed, right? I didn't read the Bible as a teenager, but it hasn't changed, why? Because it's incorruptible. It never, ever changes. That's why, once again, we promote reading through the Bible every year. It doesn't change. You know, reading through the Bible this year, it says the same thing that it did last year. How weird. Like, there's not a, listen, there's not a, like, a, 1800 edition and then now there's a 2022 edition that had to improve and change everything. Here's what he says, man, listen. We've been given this word of God that lives and abides forever because, verse 24, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails or falls away, but the word of God, the word of the Lord endures forever. Yes! It's incorruptible. It's incorrodible. Or whatever. Do you hear what he's saying? Everything that we touch and all of the material world around us, it's fading away, it's corroding. In spite of what evolutionists try to tell you, it's getting better and better, it's getting worser and worser. It's going downhill, right? We were talking about physics earlier, I shouldn't say that. The nerds in the back were talking about physics earlier. I don't, I'm an artist, I don't understand physics. I know it works but I really don't care how, right? Gravity is a good thing, don't try and explain it to me. So listen, we're talking about physics, that never changes. That much I do understand, it doesn't change, it doesn't change with each generation, it's the same. But here's what I also understand about physics. This place is slowly eroding away. And I don't care how environmentally sound you are, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying we should trash the place. Didn't God tell us to take care of it? My Bible says, take care of the place. We should take care of this. But we can't save it. But the word of God, it endures forever. It's never gonna change. You know when we go to heaven, God's word's still gonna be God's word. It's not gonna change. So he says that, oh, and then, then listen, to wrap this up, and again, you're facing persecution, but you need to hide all of this stuff in your heart. He says, now this, at the end of verse 25, after he quotes, he quotes Isaiah, and, and, and it's a great quote, just to prove what he's saying. And then he says, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. They were given the truth, 
And when you're given the truth, what does the Bible say? The truth will set you free. Hey, the world may bind you up, but the truth will set you free. You may be in prison, getting ready to be executed, but the truth will set you free. Get what he's talking about? There's eternity and there's temporal. Saints, quit focusing on temporal. Let's focus on eternity. And let's look to the author and finisher of our faith, and you will walk through this life Number one, I think you'll walk through this life a lot happier with true happiness, but you'll also walk through this life with confidence. And you will have confidence not because of who you are, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and in your life. That's what Peter's talking about. You can face the trials and tribulations and difficulties, the hardships, the heartaches, the pain, the suffering. You can face all of that. And we sing it in many of our songs, right? We love to sing it, but we don't want to live it. But you can face all of that. Why? Because God's word endures forever and never changes. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the challenge that you've given us and, and Lord, that you challenge that group of believers who, one thing I'm sure of when I read my Bible, and then especially the New Testament, the people written to were no different than us. They're people doing life as believers in Jesus Christ. And God, you're writing, you're telling them, you're giving them your heart to guide and direct them through what they're going through. So Lord, I do pray, I pray that we would grab a hold of this and it wouldn't just be words we read, it wouldn't just be the things that we're looking at and kind of shaking our heads and saying yes, but God, it would be truth and reality that would affect us deep within our souls and that we would know and realize that we're part of a family and that God, you love us, you care for us, and you desire for us to grow. Just like many of us have children, we want them to grow to be strong and, and, and uh, independent. I know you want us that same way. And Lord, make us men and women who glorify you with our lives. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in that attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I know a lot of what I, I just said is like going right over your head or, or maybe it even hits your heart in some places and you're understanding you, that's not reality for you. And maybe tonight it's hit you in such a way that you want that to become reality for you. If Jesus has touched your heart, drawn you to him, and tonight you realize you don't have that relationship and you want it, then you need to let him know. You need to tell him right now, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I want my life to change. So, hey, if I'm talking to you, then you need to get real with God right now. The first thing you have to do is admit to God you're a sinner. 
I think that's hard to do. It's not hard to understand. I think you know you're a sinner, but it's kind of hard to admit it, to say it to the Lord, but you need to let him know. Secondly, you need to be sorry for your sin. And you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, separation from him. That's the reality of what we're looking at. If you have sinned, you've earned the eternal wrath of God, which all of us have sinned. That's the bad news. The good news, Jesus died on the cross. He went and he paid the penalty that you owe, and now tonight he allows you to be set free, and he says, hey, I paid your debt. You're free now. So all you have to do, listen, all you have to do is take that receipt that he has and your debt has been paid. So if you wanna do that the way you do that, let's say a prayer together. I'm gonna to lead you in a prayer. You can say it with me out loud or you can say it silently. The main thing is, is you need to be sincere. If you're backslidden, come home, man. Come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can say it right in your home, right where you're at. You can call on the name of the Lord. He will hear you. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. And God, I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking for forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. Now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. And Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.